Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to Football Digest with me, Peter Staunton. And today I am joined live from Doha by Andy Dunn and John Cross, both are there to cover the World Cup and England in particular, ahead of the Three Alliance final Group B stage match against Wales tomorrow. I haven't done a good job of that, I apologise. With England now almost assured of their place in the knockout rounds, Gareth Southgate still needs to make sure there are no slip-ups in order to guarantee the best path possible through the rest of the tournament. France are the only team in the tournament with maximum points as the second match day draws to a conclusion, meaning nothing can be taken for granted in Qatar. So, guys, what have England been up to over the weekend? They obviously played Friday night, John. Um, Warm down Saturday. Have they been watching games? How's the mood in the camp? Yeah, I think it's okay, actually. A little bit of maybe of defiance, it seems to be, that people were sort of reminding... You know, Harry Kane's certainly doing that in some TV interviews yesterday about, um, it, you know, don't worry, it, we, we did exactly the same in the Euros, which is a fair point, isn't it? And I think one we made the other day, which was, you know, the one the first game against Croatia, struggled against Scotland, mood was flat, everyone's a bit low, but don't worry, we beat the Czech Republic and the rest is history. So, you know, I think they're just trying to prove a point maybe that, um, you know, there's nothing to worry about there's a bit of, um, you know, just just I think they sort of kind of see a determination to kind of just get back on track against Wales. Um, what interests me is that I, I do think that at the El Bite Stadium, I was there last night for Germany-Spain, because I do think the conditions play a part. I do think it's hot down on the pitch. You know, it's not it's not particularly up in the stands and we get lured into this, but I think it's hot and sweaty and, and balmy for, for the players. And I think, you know, if you've had hard training sessions as well in the midday sun, than which England certainly have. I do think it, it, fatigue is going to be a bit of a factor. And I wonder whether, you know, the teams that manage the training well, manage their substitutions well, get the changes resting, rotating throughout the tournament the best, will ultimately be be the winners. And sort of, you know, that obviously depends on a strong squad. But I do feel as if, you know, Gareth Southgate, I'm sure, will take that on board and look at it and sort of say, do I need to, you know, sort of tweak the team here and there and, and make those sort of changes? Yeah, um, the energy sapping aspect of it is very interesting, actually. Um, well over half, uh, almost, I think, two thirds of the matches so far have been goalless um, at half time. Uh, so England suffering that as much as as much as any other team down there, really. And I think maybe because it's it's uh, it's winter in Western Europe, but it's so cold and so miserable. Uh, these are one of the things that we maybe tend to forget is that it's still, uh, you know, what is it, 25 to 30 degrees uh, come match time. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And it's, um, listen, it's cooling down a bit. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was unseasonably hot, really. And so that's gone, I think, basically, and it's now just hot. Um, but, you know, I, 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 
I don't know whether we should look for that in any way as an excuse, but I do think it's 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 a sort of a factor. I do think as if England sort of you know the mood was so buoyant after the Iran game. I don't think it can be quite the same. I do. I, it really fascinated me to sort of kind of hear the players and sort of the manager talk about sort of kind of the, the, the Wales game and what's ahead because. I do think there's spice in this one. I do think it's a battle of Britain. And I do think that basically, I tell you what, any flatness from Friday night, I think will be quickly removed just because I think when rivalries are at stake, I think you're up for it. I think the England fans will be up for it. I think the England players will be up for it. Um, Andy, um, welcome to you too. Um, I detect a tiny hint of defence a tiny hint of defensiveness in in some of the comments from the England players that have emerged over the weekend. I know they speak to the press um, most days, but we've heard Marcus Rashford um, mention uh, the, the supporters booing. Um, I think Luke Shaw as well uh, has been involved in that. Um, I, have they been stung a little bit by the criticism in the stadium and, and also maybe around the, the media as well? Well, I, I went to see Marcus Rashford yesterday um, uh, and, and absolutely you're spot on. They're very defensive. Well, defiance, as John um, referred to it as, it's probably defiance. Marcus Rashford was a pain to point out, you know. I mean, and listen, he's got a point. I mean, he basically said, you know, the, a week last Monday, um, the fans were, he was implied, you know, the fans were, were serenading Gareth Southgate, singing he was still the one. And everyone was like, you know, buzzing. And then, one draw later, and he's getting booed off the pitch. You know, basically, it, 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 memories are extremely short. And Marcus's memory stretched back to 2016 and that dismal capitulation um, at Euro 2016. And he said, you know, people have got short memories. They forget how bad it was before Gareth Southgate took over. And now on the back of one draw against a very decent American team, you know, you know they're, they're, they're okay, so, you know, people get, get on our backs. That was the sort of implication. But, but he just said, listen, that's football. And I get that. I mean, he, he does have a point, you know. But there is an element of, of you know, um, people are being are expecting too much. The idea of us winning, I mean, they've all been told, clearly, the mantra is like, you know, there's not many teams win all three out of three in qualification in the groups. They don't, and there won't be many here. Obviously, there's only one left. Well, there's a couple left who can do it. So, you know, that is that 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 is the the message that's coming out. Is they hang on a minute? You know, if you'd have said that after games against Iran and USA, we'd have four points, we'd have all taken it. It's as simple as that. So, um, yes, there is an element of that. Um, um, I do think, that, you know, I, I do think that they understand that's the way it works. You know, the way it works is that the US game was a poor game from their point of view. And that's what fans do nowadays, unfortunately. That's a modern way. And um, we can't blame the drink either because uh, the, <laughs> nobody was drinking in the stadium. So, yeah, it was it was from the heart, that one. But then again, I would have to say, looking at the other teams, the problems that they're encountering, Germany, for example, one point after two games, Belgium beaten by Morocco yesterday, Denmark, who, were, who came in as a dark horse into the tournament, they look like they're going to get eliminated too. Brazil have no Neymar uh, for the rest of the group stage. England are sort of no worse off than, than some of the most of the rest of the contending teams at this stage. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, that's a good point as well. In England also appear to have a clean bill of health. You know, and, you know, James Madison is back training now, so so we, we assume that he will be available if required against Wales tomorrow. So, you know, he's got a lot of options to pick from now. So And they're not playing badly. You know, overall, their form isn't great. However, 
you know, they've got that win under the belt and they weren't, you know, they kept a clean sheet, to be fair. Jordan Pickford didn't really have a save to make. I know Pulisic hit the bar with that strike. But other than that, he didn't really have a save to make. So did, did defensively sound as they've always been at major tournaments under Gareth Southgate. So there are plenty of positives, plenty of positives. Absolutely, absolutely. And nothing can be taken for granted at this World Cup. It feels like it, it, it's going by so quickly and nobody's hitting maximum points other than France and, and uh, England are banging it. Um, John, what do you expect to see from the beginning tomorrow? I know obviously we get five substitutions, a sixth if there's a head injury. So there's, you know, there's no trouble on that front considering England's squad depth is huge. But what do you expect from the start from a tactical or a personnel perspective that might be different from the USA game, if anything? Oh, I think he's going to make, I think he'll make... Obviously, he went unchanged last time out. I'd be ever so surprised if he doesn't freshen it up, particularly in attack, I think. Um, I thought Saka and uh, Sterling were really good in the first game, but there's no doubt in my mind that basically they weren't quite as effective and quite as fresh, perhaps, um, in that second game. So I wonder whether that could be a thing. You know, I think Jude Bellingham was terrific in the first game. Personally, I'd definitely keep him in. And we've had, I've had this discussion with Danny. Danny's not quite so sure. I think he's such a talent. You need to give him a rhythm and run a game. I wonder whether he, the manager will change that. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a shame really, but I think he might, I don't know, he might just change it. And obviously there was a little bit of noise about Mason Mount. Personally, again, I thought he was so good in that first, in first game. I think he worked so hard that I'd give him bit more time but I think there'll be bits of discussions and I think there'll be sort of small changes here and there uh, rather than rather than wholesale changes I don't think Peter there'll be uh, um, I don't think there'll be one certainly up front about Harry Kane just don't see it honestly I was amazed to see those quotes from Alan Shearer the other day saying Harry Kane looks like he can need a rest you know maybe for the good of the team good of Harry you should rest him I was thinking Alan Shearer didn't just say that I really like Adelan Sheeran. I think he's an excellent pundit and he's a really nice guy as well. But, but I was thinking, my God, if someone said that about you back in the day, you'd <laughs> be crying. I mean, it's just like, it's, I, I just, sorry, I just don't see it like that. I thought that Sheeran didn't have his greatest game on Friday night, was a little bit off it on in the first half. But I actually thought he was second half. I thought he was decent. Could he have scored in injury time? Yes. But I mean, come on. I thought some of the stuff he was doing by dropping deep and then spreading the play was really, really good. I thought he was working hard. I didn't see his sluggishness in the second half like the first half. And I didn't think he was being particularly troubled by by that injury. You know, maybe that's just my my view. I, I love Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane's our greatest asset, our greatest player. And basically, I just I just don't see that one. And, you know, if, if Gareth Southgate were to drop Harry Kane... Uh, which I don't think he will, by the way. I, I, I just think he'd be the bravest England manager in history. Yeah, um, I did see it, uh, from from the USA game, uh, Kane's running stats are way, way down. Um, he's not moving as much, but you never know. Maybe that maybe that's an instruction from Southgate just to you know stay in your position and, and let the ball come to you and, and well, things like that. Well, they didn't give him service, did they? Didn't give mm. him service. That's the end of it. I mean, those stats can be deceiving in that way, in that basically if you don't get the service, if you're not then making, you know, if you're not, if you've got not got anything to run for because you're not getting the service, your running stats are going to be down. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, those stats, why those stats are kind of, you know, I think unhelpful in a way because it proves that, that basically they weren't supplying the passes for Harry Kane to get onto. So I just think, you know, I, I, I think that he, he deserves the slack that we offer him and I, because I think he repays you with goals. 
Yeah, it surprises me as well. Um, you know, I think we're, we're into we're into nitpicking really when a team has has four points, obviously scored six goals in the tournament so far, and, and there's calls for the for the centre forward and the captain to be dropped. You know, uh, as someone who's not seen his team qualify for World Cup for twenty years, you know, to me it just seems a little bit uh, there's an element of nitpicking to there. Yeah, definitely. I, I just think he, you know, he's a really good leader. He's He's the kind of the best kid in the playground sort of captain because I mean that because he's the best player, player out there. He's a world-class striker in my view. And then basically what he does as a player on the pitch sets the tone for his leadership and his captaincy. And I think he is, you know, he does he does speak well, but the other players respect him. He's got a voice within the camp. And I just think he's, you know, Gareth Southgate knows that overall he's worth his weight in gold. I do think that at times you might have to, you know, like the bullet and substitute him or something like that. But the, to me, the idea of, of Kane, uh, you know, replacing him and then sort of kind of bringing in Callum Wilson to lead the line. I mean, you know, Callum Wilson has had a great season so far, but Harry, this is Harry Kane, a proven goal scorer at the international level. He wants that Wayne Rooney record. He's two goals short of, of, of catching him. And I just feel as if, you know, Harry Kane, his, his mindset is, I'm going to go and break that record. I'm going to go and start this World Cup and I'm going to help England go as far as they can. It'd be madness to take it away. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Andy, one player who's not featured so much for England, but is getting uh, plenty of column inches back home is, um, is Phil Foden. Does he need to start this game, in your opinion? Um, and if so, who, who will he come into the side to replace? Well, in, in my opinion, yes, he does need to start this game. Uh, in my opinion, I, I would replace either Saka or Sterling. I mean, simple as that. Um, I'm, I make the three, Foden, Kane, Saka, or Foden, Kane and Sterling. I think Foden, Kane and Sterling would be my particular choice, my three. Now, I think that, you know, and it seems like the entire nation back home thinks that, and every every pundit thinks that, every observer thinks that. Um, does Gareth Southgate think that? I'm not sure he does. I'm really not sure he does, to be perfectly honest. If, if, if I'm turning around to you and saying, okay, well, the way we get Foden in is by replacing Saka or Sterling, does Southgate think that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, alternatively, do you get him in midfield and, say, lose Mason Mount? Possibly. But then that, you know, takes away the, the workload and the work rates that Southgate absolutely loves that comes from Mason Mount. So that's the issue. I think we all agree. You know, you won't find many people other than Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland who think that Phil Foden should not be in this team. It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, it's interesting picking the team. It's interesting looking at the selection issues. I agree with John that there'll be there might be one or two changes, but where? Let, let, let's have a look where we would change and where he would change. So he'll stick with the four three three. I think. You know, I'm, I'm pretty certain about that going forward, which we might talk about. He might change that, by the way. However. The 4 3 3. There's no one in the back four who's going to change after that clean sheet. No there, chance there really, of Walker getting some minutes, for example. Uh, well, he may get minutes if, if the game is is going England's way. And as you mentioned, the options that he's got from the bench, he, he might do that. Um, Walker won't play as right back if in a back four. He, w- he would play as the right centre half, maybe in a back three, back five, whatever you want to call it. Um, he might play there, but he won't play there. I mean, see, so what I, so he's, Gareth is going to keep that back four. Me, personally, I'd play Alexander-Arnold at right back, but we all know there's absolutely no chance of Gareth Southgate doing that. And then the midfield, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, I think he'll stick with Bellingham, and I'd probably stick with Bellingham. Um, and then and then, and then, really, after that, it is a question of do you get further in. He might, 
Gareth, if he's going to make that change and say give Saka or Sterling a rest, and to me, it, it, there's maybe come a point we know his unswerving loyalty towards Raheem Sterling, but maybe it's come to the point where his club form has been poor. He's been not great in. Listen, probably if you had to say, if you had a list of merit marks for that first game, the six-two against Iran, you know maybe he would be lower down. I'm not saying he had a poor game; he didn't. Everyone had a good game, but maybe he didn't play as well as others and didn't play well against Iran. Maybe it's Sterling who needs the rest rather than a Kane or a Saka. So maybe replace him. Now, would we put Foden in? Yes. But on the evidence so far, I suspect that he would probably put Grealish in ahead. And it might be Grealish, Kane and Saka. So so in answer to your question, yes, I think we all would have Phil Foden in our team. However, the people at Matek, Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland, I don't think they share our conviction in how great Phil Foden is. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, John, isn't it? Um, maybe the, the idea of having Saka and, and Foden, I know they're, they're very different players, but you're looking at two left footers, both maybe looking to come inside from the right. They're, they're looking to maybe do the same thing on the ball, a little dribble and then a, a, a through ball. Um, as Andy says there, is there a place maybe for, for Jack Grealish uh, to start ahead of Foden? Uh, unlock unlock that uh, Wales right-hand side uh, where Conor Roberts has, has sort of struggled defensively in this opening couple of games. Yeah, I think, Peter, it's really interesting. You have to get the balance right. You have to get the dynamic right about who, who plays on which side, the you know left foot, right foot. Um, and getting that balance right is, is key. And I also think that... I think Jack Grealish is such a good player, such a good player. But you also kind of got to think, do you... If you've got Jack Grealish on one side who kind of tends to get the ball, slow it down slightly and then look up and then face the man and try to dribble past him, do you need the kind of the uh, the opposite on the other side, which is somewhere a bit more direct, um, if you like, a bit quicker, go, you know, go directly in behind? And I think that that is, you know, must be weighing up on his mind because I think in normal times, Sterling and Saka would certainly do that and almost dovetail and be the sort of kind of perfect sort of partnership. But I would, I would like to see the kind of the, the change really and love to see Foden start. It's got to be a reason. It's got to be a reason why he's not come on. And I don't think it's anything other than the fact that I'm, it's Gareth Southgate thinking, I'm going to need you and rely on you as a big player later in the tournament. And to that end, I think it's because I think he must have him in mind to start against Wales. I want to see him start. I think he's such a good player. I think he's one of our naturally talented, most talented players in the squad. Um, His skill is, is tremendous. He can make things happen. He runs at people. He's got lovely you know, dribbling skills. I also think he'll be a bit fired up after what happened at the Euros because I think he started the tournament well, but we only saw him in glimpses. And this is a player that deserves to be centre stage because he's he, he's that good. And I think he'll probably be out there fired up because he missed the final through through injury and have something to prove. And I think he can still grasp the stage. I think there's no 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 doubt in my mind that Southgate rates him. I don't think it's an issue. And I just feel as if, you know, those are the tweaks that I, I, I would make sort of either side. But it's just about getting that balance right. And how do you do that to, to make sure you kind of, you've got enough um, speed? Because you, one thing you don't want is Wales being able to kind of sit and slow the game down. You want a directness and a speed from England, which they, you know, they've got players who are able to do that.
Andy, if I could just ask you, when we sit here on Wednesday morning, we don't want another yes, but type of result from England, do we? We we want to hear that they've, you know, they've they've taken Wales to the cleaners, they've won in a convincing fashion, and they've sort of they've kind of dispelled some of these uh, doubts that are currently lingering over the team. Would I be right in saying that? In an ideal world, yes, but I mean, you know, what what really matters is that we sit here on Wednesday morning and that England have a a knockout game to look forward to. <laughs> Sorry, the following weekend. That's all that matters, really. I mean, you know, and that, then they have four days off, five days off, depending on the um, three or four days off, depending on whether they finish first or second. Listen, it'd be nice to win the group. I mean, it'd be good to win the group. They need to win. You know, listen, group football, uh, 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 World Cups and European Championships and, uh, and you know, it's a Cup of Nations and it's a, a Copper America, you know, they can be very, very cagey, you know, and, and we're going to have a Wales team, don't forget, that, that even though they need to to win this game to have any hope at all of squeezing through to the knockout stages, even though they have to win, they'll probably be very, very defensive, I would have thought, so they'll probably sit very deep and they'll look at, to hit England on the counter-attack. England don't need to win, so they don't need to be that gung-ho. So, yes, in an ideal world, it'll be, a, it'll be another sort of confidence-boosting win, which they need, of course, because... If you bear in mind, England's form actually is they've won one in eight games. You know they've won one of their last eight games, and that is you know not not that that still means they. I think they need a bit of a lift. So yes, in an ideal world, they win the game um, handsomely. They win the group um, that gives them a bit of momentum. But really, it doesn't actually matter because it is a reset. It's a total reset after the group stages. The mentality then changes. You're then into do or die. You're into the knockout stages. And, you know, the next game really is, you know, is a one-off. So, you know, we've seen plenty of teams win groups handsomely and then get knocked out in the next round. We've seen plenty of teams scrape through, maybe with the last kick of a group game, and then go on and win the next knockout game and go far in the tournaments. So, essentially, the only thing that matters is that in that, in that draw, well, not in a draw, they know they play, they're in um, the round of 16. That's the only thing that matters. But, yes, in answer to the question, they'd like a... Um, a big, you know, um, um, well, a good performance for a start-off, but I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, as John says, I think a combination of Wales defending deep, the conditions being um, quite energy-sapping, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit back and expect some sort of, you know, thrilling, entertaining, um, cavalier performance from England. I'd expect them to win, but not necessarily in a canter. John, what can we expect from Wales in this game? Obviously, you know, losing to Iran in, in the circumstances that they lost was was a devastating blow. Obviously, they've got no Hennessy either. The question marks over Bale and Ramsey. Uh, sort of similar question marks that Roberto Martinez is facing at Belgium. Is it, you know, is it one tournament too many for these guys and so forth? Um, how's the mood in the Wales camp and, and can they prov- provide this kind of stern test uh, to England that they'll be hoping for to give them that sort of slim, almost 5% chance that they have at the moment of reaching the knockout stages? Well, listen, my, my colleague in, and, and current roommate, actually, uh, James Nursey, has been covering the Wales camp and um, um, has been has been down there most days, every day that they've done something. And and it, I, I, you know, I I do feel as if it feels as if it's coming to an end, really, in terms of um, this particular generation, doesn't it? And. You know, what's coming through, that's the bigger issue, isn't it? I mean, you've got Brennan Johnson, clearly, um, you know, there's some other young ones, but I do I do feel as if their golden generation was Bale, 
and Ramsey, let's be honest here. And I feel as if, you know, that 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 time is has passed really. Bale's in in the States and then Ramsey's sort of kind of, you know, coming to an end, you know, seeing out it's seeing out his career now in sort of France almost, if you like. They've had wonderful careers, been amazing. I wonder whether if if Wales go out, Gareth Bale might call you know call it quits. Basically, I wonder you know from from the international stage at least, and then you'd look back on it and you'd say he has been the best British export um, we've ever had. If you look at his success with Real Madrid, absolute phenomenal player and success levels. Um, but you know, and, and and then I'm afraid when you go from that at his best. To now, when he's clearly nearing the end, although he did make an impact in that first game, even though he struggled to get in the game, I, you know it's it's hard, isn't it, to move on when you when you've had that world class talent, when you built your team around him, and made no apologies and no excuses for doing so. Then it's hard to lose that that talent and that central figure. And I think it's a ma- massive test for Rob Page, isn't it? I mean, he signed it didn't hasn't long since signed a new contract, so he'll be looking at it. But look, I do feel as if Wales will pull something out of the bag in terms of spirit because they just lift themselves because England is such a big game, you know, and I think then that basically they'll be determined to do it. It's their first tournament in so many years and then basically they're determined to make it out of the group and they've still got, a, you know, a realistic hope of doing that because shouldn't get fixated on needing to beat, you know, England 4-0 because the fact is that they could beat England if the result goes the other way to their satisfaction then they still go through so you know it's not mission impossible it's unlikely but it's not mission impossible and you know I think Wales have been at their best sometimes when they've been written off yeah and going back to Andy going back to to Euro 2016 I know there's no comparison really between you know the England squad now and then but that was played very much in a derby atmosphere uh, that game between Wales and England uh, and obviously with so much on the line for Wales uh, t- tomorrow could we expect something similar are we looking at sort of one of those you know sort of muck and bullets type matches in the trenches all of this kind of stuff or will England be allowed to play a bit of football in this game I think they'll be allowed to play a bit more. I think only because uh, Peter, what, what what John referenced earlier earlier in the in in the talk is that is the conditions um, even at ten o'clock here local time they really are they really are um, quite close and and hot and humid you know so I, I and it just I don't know, I get the impression also you know the pitches are immaculate um, I just get I just get the impression that. It won't be. It would be a big ask for Wales to make it into that sort of high intensity game. I think England will have a lot of possession. That's where it will be different. And also, again, just going back to Marcus Rashford, when he he of course is only twenty five, but he's had four major tournaments and he was there in the squad in two thousand sixteen England squad. I think he came on as a sub in the Wales game, um, and he certainly came on if I remember as a sub in the um, ill fated Iceland game. Um, and he was saying the difference, you cannot compare England of Euro 2016 with England of World Cup 2022. He himself said it was like night and day. Um, so this is a more a, a, a better England team to start with. So, so no, I don't think it will be a sort of blood and thunder type game as much as Wales might want to make it that way. I think it'll be quite cagey. I really do. And I think Wales will look to hit them on the break. And as John says, you know, they they can't go into the game possibly thinking that 
actually, the, the most realistic way of getting through is to win and for the other results to go their way. It's not to beat England 4 0, because that isn't going to happen, let's face it. Um, let's just uh, finish off, guys, by having a, maybe a little chat about, about what's been going on elsewhere. Uh, John, two big players have arrived at the tournament. Um, Mbappe obviously was match-winning uh, contribution against Denmark the other day, and Lionel Messi, what about that? Um, the other night in, in the Mexico game to break the deadlock in a very, very poor game, uh, even though Argentina ultimately came out on top. These big players now rising to the top when, at a crucial stage in the tournament. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I do. I, I, I'm slightly fixated with Kylian Mbappe. I've got an unhealthy obsession. Um, I hold up my hands. I think he's the best player in the world. I think he's absolutely the future of football. He's 23. He turns 24 two days after the World Cup final. He's only the um, second player after Pelé, would you believe, to score seven goals in a World Cup finals um, before turning 24. He's that special. He's already into his into his thirties in in France goal charts. He'll clearly be, you know, the, their greatest goal scorer. I think he could. If you look at it, he's got time on his side, and he could be the greatest World Cup goal scorer in my view because he's got so much time. He's got so much talent. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. I don't think, you know, sometimes we realise quite how good he is. He's got. I mean, he's just got pace to burn. We talk so much about Messi and Ronaldo. But frankly, it, it, it annoys me, in, you know, incessantly. The basic Mbappe is not part of the conversation, maybe because he's a different generation. Fair enough, but I just think that Mbappe is—he's just phenomenal. He's the future. Lionel Messi has been an incredible star. I was lucky enough, by the way, to see you know France, Denmark. You do, I do feel a bit privileged sometimes. You know, when you see Messi, and you always come away thinking, "Oh, could that be the last time I get to see him?" and you know, what a privilege it has been. I feel the same way about, not the last time element to it, but they feel the same way about Mbappe, I really do. And I just think, you know, Messi, we're lucky to have him on, on this world stage. I was so pleased that Argentina won because I tell you what, I couldn't bear it if really they went out early on simply because I just think, you know, I don't think they'll win it. It'd not been my choice. France were my choice. But I do feel as if, what a cry and shame it would have been to, if that had been... Messi's last stand, basically, and they've gone out because the big, I think the big tournaments are at their best when the biggest players perform. And so, you know, Messi came to Argentina's aid and, and Mbappe is absolutely ripping it up for France. Yeah, and it looks like Argentina have steadied the ship uh, with, with that result. But teetering uh, are Germany and Belgium, uh, Andy. It's what, a, what a terrible weekend it's been um, for both of those teams. Yeah, and, and you know the vibes coming out to the Belgian camp were not great before before um, that defeat to, to Morocco. You know, Kevin De Bruyne basically admitting that, hey, guess what? You know, probably our our, our moment passed um, in 2018, <clears throat> and I, I thoroughly agree with him. You know, I was at that tournament and I thought that Belgium, you know, sh- um, probably should have won it. I mean, the talent they had and the way they were playing, and that's not the case here. You know, they 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 just look they look a bit fatigued. They look a bit, little bit. Would you, I mean, I hate to say it, but they, they don't look as motivated as some other teams here. Um, and, and and hence why they're in the trouble they are. As for Germany, I thought they did well last night. Um, I thought they did really well. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very, very good Spain team you're up against. You know, listen, to be honest, I didn't think they played that badly against Japan. You know, listen, he took... When he took Gundogan off um, against Japan when they were, were the one nil up, I thought I thought they were they were pretty much in control of the game, you know, and their concentration slipped late on. 
I wouldn't rule out. I certainly wouldn't rule out. I mean, listen, they'll. I think they'll win their last game against Costa Rica. You would think that Spain will beat Japan, and they'll squeeze through. So I, I, I I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't be as concerned about Germany as a, as I would about Belgium. And, and and I do think that you know Belgium look like a team that are, you know, as I say, probably waiting to go home at the moment. Um, and they just don't look as up for it as others. Um, but I think Germany will revel in the idea that if they can get past Costa Rica and Spain, do them a favour, then, you know, again, there's a reset. There's a reset um, uh, for the round of 16 for every team. And Germany have got a really good squad, some, you know, wonderfully talented players. I think Misala was brilliant yesterday. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about them. Just quickly going back to the, the star players, John was at that game. Great to see Mbappe for, for, for John. But I was I was at the Argentina-Mexico game, and it was just magical. I mean, Messi, you know, the Mexican fans were taking pictures of Messi. You know, he just, if ever, you know, this tournament and FIFA and the Qatari organisers, you know, it's their dream to have Messi back in that stadium, the Lucille Stadium on December the 18th, in his last game in an Argentina shirt in a World Cup final. You never know, they might play Portugal. It might be Ronaldo versus Messi. What are we going to talk about then? Yeah, I do. I find it interesting. You know, Messi gets to walk around uh, for Argentina and then light up games with moments of magic and everybody praises him. But then Ronaldo always gets slammed for not tracking back, not pressing, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the treatment that, that each of them get. I find it a little bit inconsistent. That, that, that's the way Messi plays that game, Peter. It was from the Urides. In that first half of that game, I mean, he literally did. You know, he's the master of non-involvement because when he does get involved, it's normally magical. And that was exactly what happened on whenever it was Sunday night. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Okay, uh, guys, I know you. I know you got to run off um, obligations and all that. There's actually some work to do out there too. Um, but we will be back on Wednesday uh, to discuss. Hopefully, uh, what you guys will be expecting is an England win, um, and then we'll know by then whether it's Netherlands or or Senegal or, or in my opinion, it could be Ecuador um, in the last sixteen. So keep up to date, please, with what whatever John and Andy and all the teams uh, are producing for us. Uh, from Doha you can catch these guys uh, on the mirror uh, in print online and and they'll be producing some great stuff uh, throughout the rest of this tournament so uh, come and find us wherever you get your podcasts wherever you want to watch this stuff and um, yeah and we'll be back on Wednesday so from John from Andy and myself um, go about your Monday in a productive manner thank you everybody goodbye goodbye